can figure out which one it is. So um, anyway, all right. So we are finishing up the book of Luke today. Um, we've been in this book for the past several weeks, and the entire book has led up to last week. Jesus' death on the cross. So last week we saw Jesus under trial before Pilate and Herod. And ultimately, Pilate said, he's not guilty. What do you want me to do with him? And he tried to release Jesus. But the crowds came back against him. And they cheered for Jesus' death and crucifixion. And so ultimately, Pilate turned Jesus over to be crucified. And then towards the end of chapter 3, we see Jesus on the cross, and he cries out to God there on the cross, talking about the very people that crucified him. And he died there on the cross. And we see this scene where the curtain in the temple, which was about a foot thick, so this is a big curtain, tears in half from top to bottom, and the entire city went completely dark in the middle of the day. So all the, this giant crowd had gathered to see the crucifixion. And I can't imagine the feeling that they must have had. They're sitting there chanting for his death. They're mocking him as he's on the cross. And then, at the end of it all, the curtain rips, the sky turns black, and they realize who he was. And it talks about the crowd went home sad. And if the story ended there, we would be just like this crowd. We would be lost and we would be hopeless. But before we continue, um, we broke a rule. We left Jesus dead for an entire week. Yeah. But it, it's, it's okay. It's okay. We're, we're here to make it right and make sure we do not leave Jesus dead. So... If you've never done impact, I'll explain more on that later. But anyway, um, so back to this scene where the crowd is chanting for Jesus' death. One of my favorite traditions at UMHB is called Easter Pageant. And if you've never been to it, it is great. It reenacts um, Jesus' ministry and his death and resurrection on the cross. And so I was always just a crowd member. I didn't have any fancy part or anything. But there's this one scene where the entire crowd is standing in front of the cross while Jesus is up on the cross and we're yelling at him and mocking him. And there's never, I've never had a more surreal and humbling moment in my life than standing there. I know it's just, I know it's just a reenactment, but still, the symbolism of it all, you're standing there mocking Jesus as he's dying on that cross and you're just like, that, that's for me. He's, he's the, I'm the reason he's up there. And I'm sitting here mocking him. And I've never felt something more surreal in my life. And I'm just like, whoa. It really just makes you step back for a moment and think, I'm the reason he's up there. But anyway, as we continue into chapter 23, we see that the disciples and the rest of Jesus' acquaintances watched all of this happen from a distance. And then something unusual happened. A man named Joseph, who was from Arimathea, asked to bury Jesus in his own tomb. And in verse 50, Luke describes Joseph as a good and righteous man. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, 
which that is the religious council who actually put Jesus to death, or had him tried to be put to death. And it says that Joseph was against it the entire time. So he was a secret follower of Jesus, but he was too scared to say or do anything. And so now, after Jesus' death, Joseph is there asking for the body of him so he can lay him to rest in his tomb. I just want to have y'all stop and think about that for a moment. The kind of faith and courage that would have taken. This guy is on the council of the people who just had Jesus executed. And he goes and says, no, I want to take his body and I want to bury it. That would have taken an amazing amount of faith and a lot of boldness. So, as with a lot of the other parts of the Gospels, you can kind of use the different books to fill in things that have happened. Um, So, if we look over at Matthew 27, verse 59 through 60, it says, So Jesus took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and others and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. So we see Joseph of Arimathea placing Jesus in the tomb, and then he had this great stone rolled in front of the door. And when I say great stone, I mean a great stone. Like, this thing would have been huge in order to block the entrance of this door, and sorry, of this cave, and it would not have easily been rolled away. Um, Most people believe it probably would have taken about four rather large men to roll it away. So this thing would have been big. And I want to take a moment to pause because it's easy to skip over this, this part of the story, especially if we've grown up in the church because we've heard it over and over again. Jesus died on a cross and was laid in a tomb. And it's an important note to make that Jesus was dead. And some who seek to discredit the resurrection will say, Nah, Jesus was, he wasn't actually dead. They they just placed him there in the tomb. Because they can say, since he wasn't actually dead, there wasn't an actual resurrection. So it's important to note here that Jesus was actually dead. And on that point, the Romans, they were master executioners. They were really good at what they did. And in this case, it was crucifying someone. And they were really good at it. So if a Roman guard said that Jesus was dead... He was dead. And if we look at Mark 15, 44, um, it says, Pilate was surprised that he, had ar- that he was already dead. He summoned the centurion, asking him whether he had died. And when he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. So Pilate even verified through the centurion that was there in charge of the crucifixion, is Jesus dead? And he said, yes. And then Pilate handed off the body to Joseph to be buried. So first, Romans are max. Sorry, professional executioners. Second, there are certain details when reading the crucifixion that also point to his death. Such as, it says that water and blood separated out from his side whenever they stabbed him. Um, Which, I'm not a medical professional, so I'm not going to go deep into that. But basically, once the heart starts pumping, your plasma and blood separate out. And that is likely what that was referring to. Um, And third... Jesus was buried in front of witnesses. Um, If we look back in verse 61 of Matthew, it says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there facing the tomb as he was buried. 
And if we look further into the Matthew account, it even says that Pilate sent guards to guard the tomb because the Pharisees were scared that the disciples were going to try and fake his resurrection. So not only was there a giant rock rolled in front of this, there was also Roman centurions staged in front of the tomb to make sure that nothing happened to it, that no one came along and stole the body. So if we look at chapter 24, verse 1, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing spices they had prepared. They found that the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bound out to the ground. So Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation, which is before the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, you are not allowed to do any work. So he was crucified on the day of preparation, right before the end of the day. So that's when they got his body and were able to bury it. But they weren't able to properly prepare it for burial because it was so late in the day. So at the beginning of chapter 4, sorry, 24, these women are returning to the tomb with the spices that they made on the day of preparation. That way, they can um, anoint Jesus' body for burial. And they would use these spices to help keep the body from stinking um, as it's starting to decompose. Um, So it's clear from their purpose that they were returning to the tomb with these spices to anoint his body, that they were not expecting the resurrection. They were fully expecting his body to be there in the tomb because they were going to anoint it to make sure it didn't stink and that he could decompose properly. So thus, what they found at the tomb was completely perplexing to them. The stone rolled away in an empty tomb. And if we look back in verse 4, it says, while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bound down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. So as they're standing there, these two angels appear to them. And as with all other angel sightings in Scripture, these two women are terrified. They fall down to the ground. And the angel asks them, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then he goes all the way back to Luke chapter 9, verse 22, and quotes to them, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. And it's not until after this angel has repeated Jesus' words to them that they realize Jesus is risen from the dead. And they do the only natural thing. They go run as fast as they can, and tell the other disciples what happened. And there's a few important things that we can take away from the empty tomb. First, God always keeps his word and his promises. The women and the disciples knew Jesus said he would rise from the dead. So either they simply did not understand what this meant, or they didn't trust the promise. And the disciples, they were obviously in the middle of a trial. Their master, who they followed, for a good portion of their life, who they believed to be the Messiah, the one that would free them from the oppression of Rome, has now been executed and crucified. They were lost, they were scared, and they were hopeless. And one thing we can learn from them is that when we face times of trials and difficulties, 
we should remember the promises of God such that he will never leave us or forsake us. And as we remember those promises, we can look to the cross as proof that God keeps his word. Because Jesus Christ is living proof that he does. So second, trials and problems do not take God by surprise. Although Jesus' death certainly surprised the disciples, God was not surprised by it. He knew exactly what he was doing. And even if it might surprise us, he is still God, he is still Lord, and he is still in control of everything. And third, the only appropriate reaction to the news of the resurrection is to share it with others. Another part of the Easter pageant that I loved was the scene after the resurrection. So these women went to the tomb and they would see that it's empty, and they start running towards the crowd, and everyone they see, they just start telling, Jesus is alive, he's alive, the tomb is empty. And as they start telling people, other people start running around, telling others, and then this entire crowd is running around going, Jesus is alive, he's alive, did you hear the news? The only reaction we can have is to go and tell others. And that's the same reaction we should have in our day-to-day lives. Because Jesus is not dead. He is still alive. And so forth, the tomb is in fact empty. Those that grew up in the church, you've probably heard this over and over again about the empty tomb. Um, And I hope we don't go grow dull to that fact and just skip over it. Because it's important. Gary DeSalvo said, If there's anything we do not want to be deceived about, it is the resurrection. Our hope rests on it. For those that do impact, like I was saying earlier, one of the things we drill into y'all's heads every single year, don't leave Jesus dead. Why? It's important. It's very important. In fact, our entire hope rests on it. If Jesus is not alive, we have no hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. So if Jesus were still dead, we would not have hope. If Jesus were still dead, we would not be forgiven for our sins, and we'd still be living in them. If Jesus were still dead, it says our faith would be worthless. But because Jesus is alive, we can have hope, knowing that even through those tough times, even though the world may seem very dark, Jesus has conquered it all, and he is still Lord over all, and he was reigning on his throne. Because Jesus is alive, if we trust him, our sins are forgiven. So I encourage you today, do not become numb to the news of the resurrection. Rather, live your life each and every day knowing that he is alive and acting like it. Because he's not dead. He's not in the tomb. That tomb is empty. So we should live our lives like it's not. Sorry, like it is empty. There we go. Um, so as the chapter continues, we see, we see two of Jesus' followers walking to a town called Emmaus, and they're discussing all of these things that have happened. Because you have to think, for the disciples, it's been a crazy ride. They're following this guy named Jesus. He's doing all these miracles. The religious council comes and brings charges up against him and has him crucified. They're thinking he's the Messiah. Now they're scared. They don't know what to do because their master has been killed. And at this point, 
they don't know he's, he's risen from the dead. So they're walking back, walking to this town called Emmaus, talking about all of this stuff that has happened. And suddenly, Jesus is there walking with them. But it talks about how Jesus made it to where they could not recognize him. So he's just sitting there walking with them. Here's their argument. And he's like, what are y'all talking about? And these, these two disciples are just like, what do you mean, what are we talking about? Where have you been? Did you not see all of that that just happened? It's kind of like if someone came up to you in 2020 and they're like, what's COVID? It's like, what do you mean, what is COVID? Do you not turn on a TV? <laughs> like, it's everywhere. That's exactly how the disciples felt when this man asked them what happened. They're like, what do you mean? So, it says, they asked him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? And I love Jesus' response. What things? Like, I was talking to my wife last night as I'm going through some of this, and I'm like, I kind of feel like Jesus was just having, like, so much fun with this. Being like, what things? Tell me about it. What do you think happened? But anyway... the two followers began to explain to him all the things that had happened. How Jesus was a prophet, but the religious leaders crucified him, and how they believed him to be the, be the Messiah. They also told the man how the tomb was empty, and how the angel said that he was alive. But that, that just confused them even more. Jesus' response to them, How foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them these things that concerned himself and all the scriptures. Man, how I wish I could have been there as Jesus is going through all the scriptures, pointing it all to him. To see the writer of the scriptures explain it would have been beyond words. But Jesus is telling them, don't you see all these things that happened had to have happened. Jesus had to have died on the cross. And by doing so, he fulfilled prophecy after prophecy about himself. And I know sometimes as we're going through the Old Testament, it can be really difficult. Especially like once we get through like, um, the law, and it's like, and God said to do this, they describe how to do this, and then they did this, and you read the same thing three times, and then you're just like, okay, I get it. So I get it. It can be really difficult sometimes, but I'd encourage you, go through the Old Testament looking for Jesus, because he is there. There's time after time that it points directly to him, and it's sometimes easy to miss, but look for Jesus, and it changes how you read it. So, Jesus and these two followers continue their journey, and they stop for the night. And as Jesus is breaking bread, he opens their eyes, and they now know who he is. They recognized him, and then Jesus just disappeared. Right? Jesus is having a, little, like, a lot of fun with this. Like. So, just as with the women at the tomb, these two men did the only natural reaction— they went and told others. They went all the way back to Jerusalem, 
which it says Emmaus is about seven miles away. So we don't know exactly where they were on their journey, but if they were already in Emmaus, they had just walked seven miles and they just ran seven miles back. So they had a long night. But anyway, they did the only natural thing and they ran all the way back to Jerusalem to find the 11 disciples. And as they're entering the room and telling them all that has happened, these disciples are in a locked room Um, Verse 36 says, as they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified as though they were seeing a ghost. Why are your hearts troubled? He asked them. And why do doubts arise in your heart? So they're sitting there in this locked room, um, which if we look at the other gospel accounts, we'll see that it tells us they're in a locked room. So that's where we get that from. They're sitting there talking. And then Jesus just appears. So these guys were already on edge. They were scared to death. Their master had just been crucified. They're lost. They're hopeless. They're scared for their lives because they don't know what the Jews are going to do for them, to, to them for following Jesus. So they're already on edge. And then Jesus just poof, appeared in the room. So you can only imagine their terror as they look over and see, and see Jesus. Um, And what's so cool, though, is the very first thing he says to them is peace to you. And this is kind of cool for multiple reasons. One, Jesus is just like, it's okay. I'm, I'm here. I'm alive. But also, because of Jesus, we now have peace with God if we are one of his children. If we believe and trust in Jesus, we are called a child of God. We are now at peace with God. So in more ways than one, Jesus was bringing them peace. Because because of his death and resurrection, we can now be with God. And Jesus, knowing their hearts and their doubts, he sees that they're struggling. And so he shows them his hands and his feet where he would have had the, scar, the holes and the scars from the, from the nails that went through his hands and feet. And then to prove further that he's not a ghost, he asked, he asked them for food and then immediately eats it in front of them because a ghost can't eat food. Um, so, And just like with the two, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus then opens their minds to the scriptures. That way they can understand the things that have happened. And he tells them, you are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what, what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. So Jesus is promising to send the Holy Spirit to them. And from what we know in in the accounts of Acts, the disciples received the Holy Spirit about about 43 days later. Then they went on to share the good news of the gospel with with those around them. And in the closing few verses, Jesus takes them out of the city and ascends into heaven. And something that I think is really cool is that the disciples then returned to the temple and began worshiping God which is just a total change from how they were beforehand. They were scared. They were confused. They were locking themselves in their their house for fear of their lives. But Jesus is now alive, and they are now boldly going to proclaim the gospel. They're boldly going to the temple to worship God. So we're going to split up and go into our breakout groups. So I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we can go. All right, dear Lord, I thank you for this day. And... I thank you so much for this time to come here and to learn more about you, Lord. And I pray that we would live our lives every day 
knowing that you are Lord and that you're, that you're still alive and reigning on your throne. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, did we get a leader for the ninth grade guys here?